Yeah, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your nearness, Jesus. Thank you for your closeness. Yeah, thank you that you draw near to us, Jesus. You draw near to us. When we allow ourselves to draw near to you, when we allow ourselves to surrender and let go and lay down, you come close, Lord. So I thank you, Jesus. I pray you would meet us. Meet us, Jesus. Meet us. Yeah, meet with us. As we hear your words, as we, as we look at your face, Jesus, meet with us. Reveal yourself to us. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I pray you would move. You would move through these words. You would move through your word, Lord. Your words of life, eternal life, your words of spirit. Yeah, I pray your words would permeate our beings, Lord. Would permeate our heart. Yeah, our mind. Yeah, show us the reality you made us for, Lord. Show us the reality you made us for. Thank you, Lord. You're beautiful. You're lovely. You are the name above every name. Highly exalted, Jesus. Highly exalted. You sit enthroned in glory. I stand in awe of you, Lord. I stand in awe of my holy King. Reveal your kingdom, reveal your holiness to us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless every heart, bless every life, bless every hearer. Yeah, and may faith arise in hearts. May the very thing that pleases you arise in hearts, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name, Jesus. Bless your name. Yeah, I'm just going to share share today with you a bit of what the Lord's been showing me in his word. Yeah, pertaining to his kingdom. Yeah, pertaining to what he has given us, what he's invited us into. I'm just going to jump straight into John chapter 18, verse 36 and 37, which is the interaction between Jesus and Pilate before he, he goes to be crucified. And Jesus remarks, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate then asks, so, so you are a king. And Jesus says, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So I want to spend some time demystifying this idea of the kingdom, this idea of the place in which Christ dwells, the place in which he invites us to function from. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Christ is having an interaction with a Pharisee called Nicodemus. He says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. We see that the kingdom is not that which is seen with natural eyes, but it requires spiritual eyes. It requires one to be born again, to be born of a spiritual birth. He then says in verse 5 of John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And verse 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus requires us to be born again. Jesus invites us to be born of his Spirit. And through being born of the Spirit, we become spirit. The Spirit in us which was dead, through the fallen nature, through the sin nature we inherited through Adam, is rebirthed, is made alive by His Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead which dwells in us, us who belong to Him. And us being born of the Spirit is a revelation of what we're born to operate out of. We are born to operate out of the Spirit. We are born to function from the Holy Spirit, to live in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, verse 17 reads, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We see that the kingdom of God is that which is righteous, that which contains peace and joy, which flows in and through the Holy Spirit. And we know that we've been made righteous. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, receiving his righteousness. We know that Christ speaks to us and says, peace I give to you, not that the world gives, do I give. And we know this is a perfect peace. This is a peace that transcends understanding, that comes and guards our hearts and mind in the Lord. And we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength, We know that it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. That he saw the purpose of his suffering. He saw the purpose of his suffering as he looked at you. You were his joy set before him. We know that it is Christ's desire to give us his joy And that our joy would be made full through him. In Luke chapter 12, verse 31, we see an invitation, a teaching from Christ to seek the kingdom. It reads, seek the kingdom and these things will be added to you. The context of this verse is not to be worrying about the physical provision in this life, not to worry about what you are to eat or what you are to wear. If you're more, your body is more than what it contains and more than what it is clothed in. We see verse 32 in Luke chapter 12. Jesus' comforting words of do not be afraid little flock for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom in another translation it says the father is pleased to give you the kingdom it is his pleasure to give you the kingdom
in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul writes to the church of Colossae saying, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been brought from darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of the beloved son. I just want to take a moment to break down this word kingdom in the Greek, which is basileia. which isn't actually talking about a physical place, but rather the royal power, the kingship, the dominion, the rule. The royal power of Jesus, the triumphant Messiah. And in the New Testament, referring specifically to the reign of the Messiah. So we have been brought into the kingdom. We have been brought into the reign of the Messiah. We've been brought into the dominion, into the power of Jesus. And our inheritance in Christ comes from who we belong to. And we belong to the beloved son. Our inheritance is in him. want to spend some time in, in Jesus and Pilate's interaction. That his kingdom is one which is not of this world. The evidence of this kingdom is not found in the seen, but in the unseen. He's not, he's not requiring an army in the natural to fight for his cause. But he's actually coming to testify to the truth. And to have followers and hearers of the truth who respond to his voice. And I just want us to come back to the, the simplicity of following our Jesus not following man's opinions, but hearing and following the shepherd's voice and the Holy Spirit. For God made us to be hearers of his voice and to hear his voice for ourselves. In John 10... Verse 3, 4, and 5, we, we see that we are the flock of our shepherd. We are the sheep of our shepherd. Verse 3 reads, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. It's time to come back to his voice. It's time to come back to the shepherd's voice that calls you by name and leads you out. And does not even send you in front of him, but he goes forth in front of you. And is for you just to know his voice, listen to it and follow it. It is to silence the stranger's voice, it is to silence the foreign voices. Which do not lead you in peace, which do not lead you in his presence. It is a time now more than ever to be hearing the Prince of Peace. To be hearing the voice of the one 
who stills the waters with but a word. It's time to draw close to the shepherd. For in order to hear him clearly, we need to be close to him. And it's the presence of his voice in your life that will be the reason for the absence of confusion, the absence of delusion, the absence of misdirection and misinformation. The shepherd's voice is sufficient and his voice creates peace to all of those who hear it. And his peace is perfect. His peace permeates and pierces everything which rises above the knowledge of him. It cuts it down. And even now, I just pray that the voice of the shepherd will be heard by your ears. That peace would cut through the chatter Peace would cut through the cloudiness. Peace would silence the voice of anxiety. His peace would lift your head to those who are downcast. It would birth hope in your heart. For we know this shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And we know that our shepherd has laid his life down for the sheep. And we know there is no greater love than he who lays his life down for his friends. And we know that Jesus no longer calls us slaves, but friends. For he has revealed the father's business to us. He has revealed the master's business to us. We are not ignorant of the business of the Father. We are not ignorant of the will of the Father. So we are no longer called slaves, but friends. And we know that our shepherd does not steal, kill or destroy. But our shepherd gives us life and life more than abundantly. He brings us into an abundance in his presence. And in his presence, we know there is a fullness of joy. We know hopelessness cannot exist in his presence. We know disappointment cannot exist in his presence because he exceeds every expectation you could have. He is greater than anything that you could ask for. The love he has for you surpasses the very ability you have in your mental faculty to have knowledge of it, to comprehend it. His love for you surpasses knowledge. It is beyond the ability to comprehend, for it goes beyond into eternity. You will forever be discovering the love he has for you. you will never reach the full extent of it. I'd love to read some of Paul's prayers found in the book of Ephesians and and also some verses from Colossians. So feel free to come with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through to 19. And it reads, The God of Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. May give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. 
Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? In verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe? It is time for our spiritual eyes to be enlightened. It is time for our eyes to be open in the spirit. We need to see that in order to be born again, we must die first. We must lay down everything. We must forsake all. We must give Jesus our life for through the losing of our life, we will find it. But our life is not ours to hold onto. It is ours to give to him, the one who made us, the one to whom it belongs. And to receive the life of Christ. To recognize that it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. That he is the power. His spirit is the resurrection power you need to be alive. You were not alive before his spirit breathed life into you. And there was this spiritual rebirth that took place in you. For you were dead. For God did not lie in the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed his commandment. The death was not physical. The death was spiritual. They experienced spiritual death. And that is what Christ came back. For to to rebirth what was dead. To bring back to life what was dead. For we were not alive without being spiritually alive. We are not alive without being joined to the Lord himself. And he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Your spirit is dead apart from being joined to the Holy Spirit. So you must die and be born again. For otherwise you cannot see the kingdom. You cannot see what he has invited you into, what he has invited you to live from. From his domain, from his rule, from his dominion. That the idea of being seated in heavenly places in Christ would not be a concept, but would be a reality. Where you would exist from the royal glory of his presence. You exist in the royal power of Christ himself. For we know he is pleased to give us his kingdom. He is pleased to invite us into royalty. Into his kingship. For we know that he commissions us to walk in kingdom power. We see in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, that he recognizes my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That power is that of the kingdom, of the reign of Christ, of the royal power of Christ. We need to see where he has seated us in order to function where he has seated us from. We see, we see Christ as he sends his 12 out and we see it in Luke and, and Matthew. In Luke chapter 10 verse 9. And he commands them and heal those in it, referring to the city, who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, Christ instructs them, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. We see in the verse in Luke, 
he proclaims the manifestation of the kingdom. That you'll know that the kingdom has come near when the, heal, when the sick are healed. In Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8, you will know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in the Greek, that expression is to be brought near. The kingdom has been brought near. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near to you or has approached you. Because the sick are healed, the dead are raised, the lepers are cleansed, the demons are cast out. So Christ commissioned them in kingdom power and authority. He calls his disciples to walk in this same way. This has not changed. (laughs) He taught his disciples how to pray. One of the lines of that prayer being for God's kingdom to come, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ's desire is for his kingdom, his reign, his rule to manifest on the earth. It is not reserved for heaven when we die. It is imparted into our hands. We are are the conduits to bring heaven to earth from this kingdom realm, which again I say is not a place, but is the reality of his royal power. It is his kingship that is his kingdom. It is, it is the manifestation, it is the expression of seeing that the kingdom has come when we see that something has changed on the earth. An impossibility is no longer impossible because his kingdom has manifested. His kingdom has been brought near. We owe this to the world. And there is no revelation of the kingdom without the king. We are here to reveal him. We are here to represent him. We are here to be his ambassadors. We are here to be his ministers of reconciliation. It is for us now to reveal and represent the nature of our God. We know that Jesus was the perfect imprint, the exact representation of the nature of God. We, we read that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. But he has called us into his likeness. He has called us to reveal his nature, to reveal his heart for this world. I'm going to read those verses from Colossians that I forgot to read you guys before. It's from chapter 1, verse 9 to 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It is crucial and pivotal that we would receive, as we heard in Ephesians, this spirit of wisdom and revelation. That in Colossians, we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It is time for us to come up from natural ways of thinking, from natural wisdom into spiritual wisdom, into an understanding and knowledge of His will so that we would be enabled and empowered to bring that will to earth. That His will will be done as it is in heaven. And in verse 10, this would flow from a place of desiring to please Him. This would flow from a place of desiring to please our Lord and King. That the byproduct would be bearing fruit. Because pleasure would be at the center of our being to please Him. And we know that through our abiding in Him, and the receiving of his pruning, that much fruit is birthed through the branch. But the only reason anything is birthed through the branch is because it abides in the vine, it is joined to the vine. And we see that teaching in John chapter 15 from Jesus that the branch can bear nothing apart from him, that you can do nothing apart from him. I want to read some verses in Hebrews chapter 12 that I believe speak prophetically into this season and this time that we're in. I'm going to start from verse 25. And the author of Hebrews writes... See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. And this is speaking actually of, of Mount, Mount Sinai. If you go and read the chapter of Hebrews 12, you'll see this comparison between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. which I'll, I'll touch on a little bit more as I go through these verses. Continues to say, Much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. For we know that Christ is seated in heaven. We know that the voice is coming from heaven now. It wasn't, it wasn't a voice that merely manifested on the earth. Verse 26 reads, and his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heaven. This expression is actually taken from Haggai in chapter 2, verse 6. If you want to flip there with me, you can. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. Verse 7. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. 
says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. I feel the Lord is shaking. He is shaking his people. Not out of wrath or or punishment. But really and truly shaking us awake. Verse 27 in Hebrews chapter 12 reads, This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. I really believe the Lord is shaking that which can be shaken. He is shaking that which has been made by man. He is shaking that which is a created thing which is not a thing created by him in terms of his plans and purposes for us, but is created by us according to our plans and our purposes. He is shaking the agenda of man so that all that is left is that which cannot be shaken. For it will remain always. And what we are actually speaking of is his kingdom. In verse 28, Therefore, So for this reason, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. It is time for us as a people to bow low before our King, to come to Him and revere Him, to be in awe of Him. He is deserving of our fear. He is worthy of our fear. It speaks about in Luke's gospel and it's Jesus teaching to fear not the one who can destroy the body, but to fear the one who can destroy the body and who even has the power to cast you into hell. And this is not a fear tactic for we know that the Lord honors your will all the way into hell. But he is the one with power over the eternity and the eternal destiny of your soul. If you choose him, if you believe in him, you will receive life and life everlasting. For we know that Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that you may be saved through him that the world may be saved through him and it is through believing in the Son of God. It is through believing in whom the Father sent, believing in his death and his resurrection on the third day. And here you enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the unshakable, unshaken kingdom. And I believe the Lord is shaking. He is shaking because he needs those things which can be shaken to fall. He needs the man-made agendas. He needs those things to fall. And he needs the things that cannot be shaken to remain and for us to stand and walk in the kingdom power and authority that he has called us to walk in. To not walk in the things which have the appearance of godliness but deny the very power thereof. It is time for us to walk as his children, to walk as the royal priesthood he called us to be, to stop bowing our knee in fear, to things in this world, but to begin bowing our knee in fear and reverence and awe of our God, who is a consuming fire. He's worthy. He is holy. We need to honor the holiness of our God. 
his voice shook the earth once. And his promise in Hebrews chapter 12 is that he'll shake it again, but also the heaven. We, we need his shaking. We need it in times where we are fearing things less than our God. We need it to to realign ourselves with the God in whom we love, serve, and also fear. I want to read from Exodus chapter 19, just reading through a few verses, and this, this was the first shaking. But there is a preparation even before the Lord manifests His presence. And the manifestation of his presence was for the purpose of it being in the sight of all people. And and we see that his law and his commandments are birthed from that place. The Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant. And verse 10 says, The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Verse 11, And let them be ready for the third day. And I believe even this is speaking prophetically as are foretelling the Christ who will be risen on the third day. And on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai, which speaks of the place of God's presence, the the dwelling place of His presence, in the sight of all people. Verse 14 reads, So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. Verse 15, he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Speaking there of of sexual intercourse, of, of anything that could make you unclean, for we know that there is only purity in the context and covenant of marriage. Verse 16, so it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Our Lord, our God, is a consuming fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Verse 22 says, Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Which is speaking of the requirement of holiness and consecration to the Lord, which was absolutely required in the Old Testament. I believe the Lord is speaking again of the need for consecration of His believers to be purified by the consuming fire of His presence. And this was merely the, the covenant or the, the Mosaic covenant of the law, which we know we do not live in. We, do, we know that it is not the, the covenant that we now exist in, for we are in the new covenant and not the old. But I just want us to take some notice of the incredible power of our God. The voice of our God, which causes a mountain to shake, is the same God that we have today. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I just want to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 6 and just see how I go from there. 
And it says, who also made us, referring to God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, referring to the law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Verse 7, but if the ministry of death, referring to the law, in letters engraved on stone came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Verse 9, if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Verse 10, for indeed, what had glory in this case, speaking of the old covenant, the law, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. Verse 11, for if that which fades away was with glory, how much more that which remains is in glory. The new covenant, the kingdom of heaven, the ministry of the spirit containing glory which remains. This is that which when everything is shaken and in these times things are being shaken, it's a time to be reflective of what is remaining, even in you personally. What are you finding internally? Are you finding a courageous, bold spirit? Are you actually allowing a spirit of this world to speak to you, the spirit of the stranger who is the accuser of the brethren to speak to you? It is time to tune our ears to the frequency of heaven. It's time for the sensitivity of our hearts to respond to the voice of our shepherd and our bridegroom. Verse 12 reads, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Verse 13, and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the reading of the letter, the reading of the law, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Verse 15, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, and I would say whenever people try and live by the law, they try and live religiously or legalistically, a veil lies over their heart. They cannot see. They are blind. It is the blind leading the blind. It is time for a clarity of sight. We need to see the kingdom. We need to see the king. And we know that it is Christ, being in Christ, that the veil is removed. Verse 16, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And we know that this turning speaks of repentance. And even now as you listen, I just encourage you to take a moment, if this relates to you, to turn away from the voice of fear and to turn towards the voice of love. For the shepherd knows his sheep by name and leads them forth. And he speaks with a voice of love. This is not time to listen to the opinions of man. This is time to hear the shepherd's voice for yourself. It is time to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Day by day, moment by moment, for you personally to be led by the Holy Spirit. Turn away from legalistic ways of thinking. Turn away from condemning ways of thinking. Turn away from things that are guilting your mind. Turn toward Him who removes the veil. He removes the veil of guilt. He removes the veil of shame. He removes the veil of condemnation. We know that Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
be in him, abide in him, remain in him, spend time in communion with him. Do not commune with the radio or the media or what is being spouted. And again, it is no condemnation to those speaking, but discern the spirit of the voice beneath those words. If their intent is fear, if their intent is for you to feel guilty, that is not a voice for you to listen to. You are to listen exclusively to the shepherd's voice. You do not need to be familiar with the stranger's voice, what it sounds like, how they talk, what they talk about. You need to familiarize yourself with the shepherd's voice, to hear his voice, to hear his beckoning, his call, which, believe me, is telling you to come close to him. And the closer you come to him, the clearer you will hear and the clearer you will see. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Speaking of Christ. Christ is Lord and is the Spirit. We know that those who belong to Him, the Spirit of Christ is in them. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the Spirit of the Lord will not put you in bondage. The Spirit of the Lord will not put you in captivity. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit is the contradiction to captivity. It opposes control. It opposes manipulation. And you belong to Christ. And the Spirit of Christ is in you. Verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. Even now, just take a moment to close your eyes. There is a beholding that Christ and the Spirit is inviting you into to behold as in a mirror. We know that when we look into a mirror, there is a clear reflection. So it is time to behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord. The Lord wants to reveal His glory. The Lord wants you to be transformed into the likeness, into the same image of His glory. And this is by the Holy Spirit. This is by the Spirit who where He is, there is freedom. And now with an unveiled face, with the removal of legalism, with the removal of the law which blinds the hearts of man. Behold, as in a mirror, behold with clarity of sight the reflection which you are to bear, which is the glory of the Lord. And it reads, you are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So you are going from glory to glory in your beholding because the more you behold him, the more you become like him. I'm speaking about relationship with Jesus now. As you come close, as you draw near and behold him in his glory, in his splendor, in his majesty, in his beauty, you will become like him. The Holy Spirit will transform you into the same image of the glorified, resurrected Christ. And you will bear the image you are always made to bear. And you will see with clarity. And you'll walk in freedom for it is freedom that he set us free. The purpose for your freedom is to look like him. It's not to try and look like anything else. It's to look like the maker of you. It's to look like the glorified Christ. 
I'm just going to finish in Colossians chapter 3, which is Paul's instructions to the church of Colossae. I'm going to read verse 15 and 16. You can go there with me or just close your eyes and receive this instruction from, from Paul. The instruction is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I'm going to read that again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That is a decision, that is a choice to actually let the dominion of the king, to let his royal power rule in the form of peace in your heart. This word rule in the Greek is bra buo, which is to be an umpire, to decide, determine, to direct, control, rule. The instruction is to let Christ's peace actually be the umpire of your heart. It be that which decides and determines the state of your heart. It is that which directs, controls and rules your heart. And even right now, I just invite you to close your eyes and even just ask the question, am I letting his peace rule in my heart? Or am I letting other things, other voices rule, letting other things direct and control the state of my heart? Is my heart in peace? Or am I actually letting anxious cares slip in? And there's no condemnation in that state if you're feeling that anxious cares are slipping in, but it is for you to be a steward of your heart and to give him your anxious cares. He desires you to give him your cares. And as you come into this place of union with Christ, the he who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. This experience of his peace ruling will become a reality. And even now, Jesus, I just pray that your perfect peace, which belongs to you, would just be knocking on the hearts of those who are even having difficulty or struggling to let your peace rule in their heart. I thank you for your peace, Jesus. I thank you for your spirit. Thank you where your spirit is, there is freedom. I thank you that life in your spirit Walking daily in your spirit is life, true life and true peace. I just pray for a willingness to yield, to yield to your spirit, to yield to your life, to yield to your peace, to let your peace rule, to let you rule, to let my heart be your throne, Jesus. to let your royal power, your kingship begin in my own heart. That that be where it start. Touch hearts, Jesus, touch hearts. Reveal yourself to them. Reveal your beauty, reveal your love. I thank you, Jesus, you're speaking words of love and words of life. Where there is fear, your perfect love drives it out. Where there has been words of death or words of fear, your peace is coming in, your life is coming in. I thank you that your words are that of life, Jesus, eternal life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 reads, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Again, it's decision and a choice to let the words of Christ dwell in you richly 
And for me, the Lord even spoke deeply for let them be deep in us. Let his words not be shallow in us, but be deep in us. May they not be the words of the stranger deep in us, but the words of the shepherd deep in us. And with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, exhorting and lifting up one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It is a time to praise God, to give him an offering, a sacrifice of praise. To offer up some thanksgiving, the testimonies of Jesus in your life, the testimony of God saving you from hell, rescuing you from pit and crowning you with life. It is a time to reflect and remember on, remember back on what he has done for you. He is the same God. Be thankful for what he has done. Bring back into remembrance what he has done for you. I'm going to jump up a few verses to finish on. It's in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We are to be a compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient people. We are to be those who are quick to forgive and quick to release forgiveness to those even who have wronged us. We may be justified in our complaint, but it is our responsibility as those who the Lord has forgiven that we be those who extend forgiveness quickly. And the emphasis here on 14 that we put on love which is the bond of perfection. It is the perfect bond of unity. We know that we are to be those who will be known by our love. Jesus speaks of this, even giving us a new commandment in in John chapter 13, verse 34, which is commandment is that you love just as I have loved you. And he says that the world, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. It is time to let love fill and consume your heart for the brethren, for the family of God. In 1 John, I believe it's chapter 4, it speaks of this being the evidence that you have passed from spiritual death into spiritual life is your love for the brethren, your love for the family of God. If you have been harboring hatred or you've been harboring bitterness towards one in the family, now is time to forgive. Christ instructs us to not even bring an offering before the altar. If there is a wrong between us and a brother, a wrong between us and a family member, but to go and right that wrong before we offer anything to him. This is a big deal to Jesus that we love one another well, that we love just as he loved us with selfless, sacrificial love. And this is what will enable us to be in perfect unity. I'm not speaking about perfection in terms of performance. I'm speaking about the bond of perfection being unity. a unity that separation and divisiveness has no place in it for love will bind us together. Not a unity of opinion, a unity of the spirit, a unity in his love, remaining in his love, 
refusing to function outside of his love. I'll just finish with just saying that I invite you to come into this place. Come into the place of putting on this love that is his love for you, for he first loved us. Receive this love. Receive this self, selfless, sacrificial love that Christ has for us, that is demonstrated for us. This is what will strengthen you and enable you empower you to love as he loved. And Jesus, I pray that you help us, help us with your spirit. Help us with your presence. I just pray right now, Jesus, that you would just come into every room, into every space that the hearer is sitting right now. Just minister your love. Just touch hearts with your presence. Encounter hearts with your presence. Show them yourself. Show them the lover of their soul. Show them the one who died for them in their place as their sin so that they be set free from their sin so that they no longer be a slave to their sin but actually be a slave to righteousness, to be an instrument of righteousness on this earth. Take us deeper, Lord. Take us deeper. In Jesus' name.